absolute pleasure to have all of you here this evening. So as you would all know, tonight we have Miss Sandy Toxvig, who is a much-loved television presenter, um, and she's been like presented so many amazing shows, such as The Great British Bake Off and QI, and I'm not going to go on for much longer because I know who the star of today's show is. So without further ado, please welcome to our chamber, Miss Sandy Toxvig. My friend. Hello. How are we all? Oh, very quiet, very quiet, very, very quiet. Um, so what I thought I'd do, just to break the ice, I thought we'd start with a quiz, okay? I thought we'd start with a quiz and find out who is the most intelligent person in the room, okay? Can I give you those, my darling? And it's worth doing because there's a fantastic prize. This is one of the most ironic things in the world. This is a tea towel advertising women's suffrage. This is, a, this is the most marvelous domestic thing, uh, saying that women ought to get out of the house, okay? So uh, whoever is the cleverest person in the room is going to win this. There's a friend of mine, you're gonna hold that for me, Danny, hold the prize, thank you very much. Uh, so, uh, if you are able, in order to do this quiz, please will you stand, uh, just to make sure that uh, everybody's fair. Thank you very much, stand up. Okay. Is there anybody who is not able to stand? I do not want anybody to be left out. Just make sure, no. Okay, so the way the quiz works, it's all true or false, okay? Uh, if what I say you think is true, please put your hands on your head. Uh, if you think it is false, please put your hands on your bottom. Uh, please do not put your hands on anybody else's bottom. It is not the way we do things anymore, so. <laughs> Okay? If you get it wrong, please will you sit down? This is why we do it, so that I can see who's in and who's out. Right, so we'll start with an easy one just so we get the hang of the system. So hands on your heads for true, hands on your bottom for false. Uh, so let's do uh, Florence Nightingale was known to the soldiers of the Crimea as the lady with the lamp. Hands on your heads for true, hands on your bottom for false. Quick, quick voting. Absolute bollocks, please sit down if you got it wrong. So it's not true. It is not true. <laughs> This is Cambridge University, right? This is Cambridge Okay, just checking. Wow, that was quick, wasn't it? So, uh, straight away I can tell you that this is how women are misremembered in history, okay? So, uh, the lady with the lamp was something made up entirely by a Times journalist about Florence Nightingale because he thought it sounded good. And they had been asked to find a good news story in the Crimea. Imagine today a journalist making something up just for the sake of selling newspapers. Extraordinary idea. Uh, in fact, she did have a nickname. Uh, when she first arrived, all of the medicines for the soldiers were locked up in a cupboard and they were reserved for officers. There was a big padlock on it and she was furious and she took a hammer and she smashed the lock off and she was known by the soldiers as the lady with the hammer. Isn't that much better than the lady with the sodding lamp. Right, <laughs> who's still in? You're still in? Did you know that, darling, or you just wanted to sit down? No, you knew that, good man. Uh, two, three people left, is that right? Well, that's possibly the easiest quiz I've ever, normally takes about eight questions. I've never had it be so quick. Okay, uh, true or false? Historically, men are five times more likely to be hit by lightning than women. Is it true or false? I suggest you don't all vote the same. You're going for true, what are you gonna go for? You're gonna go for true, you're gonna go for false. It is false. Uh, <laughs> men are not historically five times more likely to be hit by lightning than women, it's six times. They are six times more, <laughs> it's kind of a QI question. I have never, I play quizzes all over the country. I have never had it happen in two questions. <laughs> so, what is your name? Uh, Dara. Dara? Dara. You are the cleverest person in the room. <laughs> and you win this tea towel. Let's pass that back there. <laughs> I'm really annoyed. I had lots of, look, I have hundreds of fabulous questions. 
this is probably my favourite. I'll just tell it to you because uh, we didn't have time. Uh, true or false, General John Sedgwick's last words in the American Civil War when facing Confederate soldiers was, this is no time to make new enemies. And it's false. Those are, some of you will know, is the last words of Voltaire. Um, as he lay dying, a priest asked him to renounce Satan, and he said, this is no time to make new enemies. Uh, General John Sedgwick's last words were, they couldn't hit an elephant from this dist. <laughs> Take your time. Uh, so I, I would love to know who's the cleverest person in the room. What a marvellous thing. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, no offence, Dara. I'm, uh, <laughs> no doubt we nailed it immediately. Um, uh, but I, I, I doubt it. Uh, so here we are amongst supposedly some of the cleverest people in the country. Uh, and yet we have a tea towel winner in two questions. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> Uh, I have to tell you, it's true in Cambridge. I met a brilliant neuroscientist the other day. She couldn't wire a plug. I had to go and help her wire. I was like, dial a dike. I'll come and wire the plug for you. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because you need to be careful, generally, how we judge people. Uh, so, I'll tell you a quick story. A young Irish woman goes for a job uh, on an English building site, and the foreman is very sniffy with her. Very sniffy, says, I don't believe you even know the difference between a girder and a joist. And she says, well, I do. Gerda wrote Faust and Joist wrote Ulysses. Now, <laughs> does it matter that I make her Irish? Did that make you judge her in some way? It shouldn't. Uh, to be honest, the rhythm of the joke works better uh, with an Irish accent. But is that okay? Is it okay? I'm not really sure. The bits that we choose to highlight about somebody when we are describing them are really interesting. I'll tell you a story that does not, I think, reflect very well on me. So, uh, I'm not very interested in fame, I'm not very interested in money, um, but sometimes you get a bit sidetracked, you get a little bit sidetracked. And I had done a job on television uh, for which I had made a sort of slightly absurd amount of money. And for me, I grew up in the United States, for me the symbol of success was always a red convertible Ford Mustang, right? I thought this was it, this was the thing. So with this absurd amount of money that I had made, undeserved, I went and I purchased this car. And I was thrilled. I thought I had arrived. I, I, I try really hard not to be very pleased with myself, but I got in the car, I took the, the roof off, and I'm driving through London, and for once in my life I feel, this is it. Look at me, this is incredible. I stop at a, a pedestrian crossing just by Waterloo Station, and there's a lot of people passing in front of me, and I've got my arm and thing and my hands on the steering wheel like this, and, uh, and I just hear a voice. I didn't even see the person. I just hear a woman's voice come out of the crowd, and she goes, oh, look, there's that lesbian. <laughs> and I was crushed. I was actually crushed. I put the roof back on, and shortly afterwards I sold the car. It just, uh, I realised that was not it. Um, so tonight, that lesbian uh, has been asked uh, to talk to you. Um, but this is a sort of curious thing. Nobody said what about. Literally nobody said, so, and I mean I could hold forth on satanic worship and why it's, <laughs> why it's a bad idea to get involved. Um, uh, but uh, as I was asked to speak by the equalities officer uh, of the union, uh, I thought we would have a quick look at the topic which I have spent a lifetime campaigning about, and that is equality. During the, uh, during the very long debate on same-sex marriage, I once heard a bishop of the Church of England on, uh, on Radio 4, obviously, um, uh, declare that he thought gay people had enough equality. And enough equality? I mean, it's not a word I thought until then that you could qualify. Uh, call me a pedant, but, you know, equal. It means being of the same value. I mean, look at me showing off my university education. <laughs> Worth every penny. Uh, not that I paid, which you should be very, very cross about, indeed. Uh, I'm old school, I am old school, but equality is not something that you can have by degrees, okay? You have it, or you don't have it. Uh, and if you're going to have an equal society, then you can't really say it's only for a small section. So we can't say, you people over here, you get to be equal, and you people over here, not so much. Um, I'm gonna go with dress sense mainly. There's really, I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna go, these people are very equal, not these people. It's ridiculous. And uh, how, do we, how do we perpetuate inequalities? Well, it's partly in the words that we use, right? So the newspaper's very much like uh, describing me as Danish lesbian. Um, I think it's a combination uh, makes them excited. I think it's, uh, they think, oh, what a porn movie, what a porn movie that could be. Um, <laughs> 
But what it's designed to do is to single me out as different, apparently, from everybody else. So I'm Danish lesbian. Nobody ever says English heterosexual Jimmy Carr. <laughs> and if any of that information is a shock to you, I'm sorry that it was me that broke it, <laughs> broke it to you. So naming those mostly irrelevant suspects about somebody, uh, aspects about somebody, is what I call, it's called othering, okay? So that person is pointed out uh, as not being the same as the norm, whatever the hell that is. Uh, you make somebody seem beyond the pale. They, they are too other uh, for you to worry about not treating them equally. And it's only ever done to highlight what we perceive as differences. So, so nobody ever says white fascist Donald Trump. Um, uh, they should. Um, uh, but they do say black activist Jesse Jackson. So that, that this, and this othering, uh, I have to tell you, is not something born of ignorance, uh, because even clever people do it. Um, in 1979, I was just starting my last year as an undergraduate at Girton, uh, and I was hauled before my tutor. Uh, and it had been discovered that I was in a lesbian relationship, and the college was meeting to consider whether or not to send me down. And, and I, I asked what rule had been broken. This made them very distressed, because. <laughs> Nobody could really think what that might be. Uh, it was a real problem. Uh, it was, uh, my, my real crime was being. Um, and I had to wait three weeks uh, before the decision uh, was made and I was told I was allowed to stay because of my excellent academic record. So if you're gonna be gay, be really clever about it, okay? It's very important. Make sure you pass the exams. Uh, so I did stay. But I spent my third year with many members of the college sending me to Coventry and pretending that I wasn't there. Uh, in 1980, I began my career in television. Uh, this is hard for you guys to believe. There's only three channels then, right? So there's BBC One, which was for everybody. Uh, there was BBC Two, which was for anybody who'd read a book. Uh, and then there was ITV, which was commercial. It was cheap and tawdry. Uh, and uh, I was on ITV. And because there were only three channels, uh, anybody on them became famous very, very quickly. So at the age of 23, I became publicly known, uh, working in a sphere, a uh, public sphere, where no woman that I knew of then had ever openly lived as gay. In 1994, I did a completely unheard of thing uh, and revealed to the press that I was in a relationship with a woman, uh, because by then we had three children and we two mums did not want our children growing up in the shadows of a secret. So the very next day, the very next day, the Marvel's Daily Mail, they'd had a big front page headline that said, if God had meant lesbians to have children, he would have made it possible. Now, this shows the level of intelligence of the Daily Mail, as we already had three children. <laughs> and clearly it was possible. Uh, but despite this, uh, the death threats started coming and the entire family had to go into hiding. That's nearly 30 years ago. Uh, and things have moved on. I'm, I'm really proud to tell you that a few years ago, I attended Girton's first LGBT plus dinner as an honorary fellow of the college. And just last month, uh, Christ's held their first dinner as well. And so things have, have moved on, change is possible. Uh, today, things are better in lots of, lots of quarters. Uh, since 1990, over 40 countries have outlawed homophobic hate crimes. 30 out of 195 countries have passed laws which allow equal marriage. My beautiful wife, to whom I'm married, uh, sits just here. Um, but I have to tell you, we should, we should enjoy the victories, but these are small figures to be pleased about. Um, there are other countries which have become increasingly repressive. There are 70 countries which criminalize same-sex relationships, and the death penalty for same-sex relationships is either allowed or evidence of it exists in 11 countries. And the UK itself, I mean, it's so sad. It's tumbled down the list of safe LGBT countries. Hate crimes are reaching dramatic numbers. Uh, Rainbow Europe now ranks the UK 17th out of 49 countries in the continent for having achieved LGBT uh, rights. And nine years ago, we were ranked number one. So you can see the changes that have happened. Um, according to the Home Office, uh, this is for the year 2021, uh, to 2022, homophobic hate crimes have increased by 41% and transphobic hate crimes uh, gone up 56% in England and Wales. And uh, last week after a, a month-long meeting, who's got the time to go to a month-long meeting? Uh, the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church uh, failed to move on any greater welcoming of the LGBT plus community 
uh, and the US House of Representatives, as I'm sure you've read, have recently elected a new speaker who believes, and I quote, that homosexual relationships are inherently unnatural and the studies clearly show are ultimately harmful and costly for everyone. I don't know what that means. I think it's like a gay tax. I don't know. I have no idea uh, what that means. Uh, so the new speaker is very religious, uh, and I'm horrified by his intemperate language, and also that of the church, the Catholic Church, and indeed our own Church of England. Uh, people are harmed by language. If you tell somebody, you, you, you're sinning against God just by being, just by existing, um, that causes harm and in some instances causes people to take their own lives. It has the most enormous effect. And the state church, I think, especially at this time, uh, needs to be a place of comfort, but instead we have 26 Church of England bishops who sit in the House of Lords unelected and unrepresentative, and they are voting down measures of equality, all of them, not the ones that turned up, nine of them turned up, all voted against same-sex marriage. Now, I don't know if you know this, I had a word with the Archbishop about it. Uh, I, we had tea at Lambeth Palace, uh, nice cake, that's the best I can say. That's, that's really possibly pointless. Um, so there's a huge amount of work still to be done. So uh, the other great focus of my life, women's equality. <laughs> so uh, mountains to climb. When I was an undergraduate roaming these very streets, I honestly, genuinely thought that gender equality would have been sorted by the time uh, I am the ancient dinosaur that I am today. Uh, when the UN Charter was established in 1945, between the whole thing about equality between men and women, that was enshrined, it was a core tenet. In 2015, the UN set out a goal of achieving this happy nirvana by 2030. Last month, in 2023, seven years away from utter triumph, 78 years since they first set this goal for equality, the UN issued a statement saying that the target was impossible to attain because, and some of you will be shocked by this, because of deeply rooted biases against women around the world in health, education, employment, and the halls of power. So not only are we moving at a snail's pace forward in lots of areas, we have put the automobile of progress in reverse in lots of places. The latest UN statistics, this is this month, state bluntly that the world is failing women and girls on every single measurable criteria. So, so here are four things which were not in the quiz but maybe should have been. There is not a country in the world, not one, where women have achieved equality. Women do 75% of the world's work, earn 10% of the income, and own 1% of the assets. One in three women around the world will experience rape or beatings in their lifetime. That's a billion women. Statistically, that's people in here. The last one is really only important for quizzes, um, but I thought I'd add it in in case there was ever another quiz that you wanted to win. Uh, the only crime Joan of Arc was guilty of was wearing men's clothing. I just thought I'd throw in an extra one for you. A little bit. So I have been fighting for equal rights my whole life. Uh, I'm 65 years old. I took part in my very first piece of act activism 60 years ago, right? So I was five years old. Uh, I was attending a convent in Copenhagen, uh, and it was raining. And it was decided that all the boys were allowed to go out into the playground and play, and all the girls had to stay inside and do colouring. I was incensed. They took my colouring things and I made my very first protest poster. And I announced that all the girls were going on strike unless we were allowed to go out and play in the rain. Well, Mother Bernadette, who was in charge, was horrified. Absolutely horrified. But I think she'd never had anybody go on strike, especially five-year-olds. Anyway, it worked. And we went out to play in the rain. And I was thrilled with this lesson in direct action. And I can tell you, the rest of the girls, deeply pissed off, never spoke to me again. So it's <laughs> not a big success. And I, fe I felt alone in my battle, I did. And growing up, you know what, it's not easy to find role models, especially because history has not been kind in the recording of women's lives. So we have women like Florence Nightingale who have been misremembered. Uh, the fact is, you know, women have always been 50% of the population but only occupy about 0.5% of recorded history. And our, our absence is everywhere. You can see it, except maybe we don't even think about it. I mean, if you look at da Vinci's painting of The Last Supper, right? You're not looking at that and think, who cooked? Who, who cleaned up? Who, you boys all sitting there chilling out, right? 
Can I just tell you, it reminds me, it's probably inappropriate, it reminds me of possibly my favorite joke. Um, Jesus and the disciples go to a restaurant. Must have happened, right? They go to a restaurant, and there's a maitre d', uh, and Jesus says, oh, good evening. We'd like a table for 26, please. And the maitre d' looks a bit confused, and he says, but there's 13 of you. He says, yes, we'd all like to sit on the same side. Um, <laughs> it's a really pleasing joke, isn't it? Because you think, oh, art, I know art. This is a very good thing. I, I like this. Uh, I mean, you could carry on. Do you want to see the wine list? No, water's fine. I think it'd be great. Anyway. <laughs> So let's look, that's, the, you know, that's an old painting. Let's look at more up-to-date source material. Let's look at, uh, well, you're, you're all very clever. You probably scoff at Wikipedia. But nevertheless, it is the largest collection of knowledge ever amassed by humanity, right? In the whole history of humanity. And we're all very modern, so surely we have improved uh, how we cast the net to gather our stories. But it's not the case. Wikipedia is deeply flawed. Less than 20% of the included biographies are about women. And there's been loads of attempts to do big kind of mass editing sessions. There are serious issues with the way in which the material is gathered. Uh, the Wikipedia community remains stubbornly, predominantly male. Uh, the surveys suggest nine to 16% of Wikipedia contributors are female. It's mostly men, mostly white, mostly middle-class, mostly middle-aged. Um, and so, of course, fewer women get inputted. Uh, and, it, there's a very weird thing that's happening is that when women do input, they are more and more likely uh, to, be, um, to be reversed. The input is likely to be reversed almost immediately in what's known as a drive-by deletion. Isn't that shocking? I didn't even know that was a thing. So let me tell you about, uh, tell you about Donna Strickland. Professor Strickland is a uh, Canadian scientist. Uh, her work centers on it. She works on a method of generating laser beams uh, with ultra-short pulses. I've literally no idea why, but apparently it's, it's good. Um, and so for lots of years, there were attempts to put her biography up on Wikipedia, right? Because she's doing this work. And in May 2017, an editor uh, rejected an entry on Strickland saying uh, that she did not meet Wikipedia's notability requirement. She finally got her biographical page on October the 2nd in 2018, on the day she won the Nobel Prize for Physics. That's what it takes. That's what it takes to be included, to be notable, a Nobel Prize. And, and I can tell you what it takes to, to get into the newspapers uh, if you are a woman. Um, so globally, women's stories make up less than a quarter of all news reports. And if a woman's story is going to be told, chances are the words we're going to use, suing is very good. I can tell you lesbian is very good, but suing is very, very good. Um, being first at something, and then helpfully the victim of crime and violence. Uh, so words like death, rape, killing, and then always including the word wife, mother, or daughter. Okay, those are the things that will get a woman into the newspapers. So women's lives are, are overlooked. But that's okay, because we're terribly well paid. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, again, I think probably 100 years ago, women thought that our freedom would come when we were allowed to earn a living on the same terms as men. Um, but today, in job after job after job in the UK, women earn 81 pence for every pound earned by men. Uh, the current gender pay gap in the UK means that effectively women work November and December for free. Uh, so surely, it's against the law, right? Well, just to be clear, the pay gap is not the same as pay discrimination. So pay discrimination is illegal, has been since 1970, the Equal Pay Act. You can't pay women less than men for work of equal value. That's the tricky bit. Uh, lots of people created something called bonus culture. So we don't pay men more because that's illegal. What we'll just do is we value them more, right? So it's a really subtle system. The BBC, you've seen lots of places in the workplace where this has happened. We just give a different value. Supermarkets. Um, so it, it, women stacking shelves in the shops inexplicably wanted the same money as the men in the supermarket warehouses who were, you know, stacking shelves. It's the same job. It's just in a different place. We value it uh, differently. We have, according to the World Economic Forum, probably another 131 years to wait if we want to get equality. And the collective impact of these structural inequalities is astonishing. So the FTSE 100, 93% of the CEOs are men. There are just seven companies being run by women. And the knock-on effect of so many men at the top is that 
basically globally, the redistribution of wealth is nearly always from women to men, and the results are breathtaking. Today, the richest 1%, all men, own almost half of the world's wealth. A handful of billionaires have the same wealth as the 3.6 billion people who make up the poorest half of the world, and I'm afraid it is women and children who make up the poorest half. So, FTSE 100 CEO now earns as much as, say, 10,000 people working in garment factories in Bangladesh. And of course, if I'm looking at equality, I don't want to overlook other intersectional issues, class, citizenship, race. Black women die at five times the rate of white women during pregnancy. And political leaders have ignored and underplayed the systemic racism, and it is driven by racism in healthcare for decades. So here's the thing. Why? why? I, I, believe in, uh, I believe in questioning all my answers, right? Maybe we shouldn't have equality. Let's not bother with it. Let's not, why do we need it, right? Why don't, we, why don't we women just stay home and get the creases out of the cushions as we're supposed to? What is the, what is the point of it? Well, okay, so don't think about, if, if you're not interested, but think about yourself. Uh, so the first thing you might say is, well, I'd like to make some more money. Well, that's good, because equality is better for business. Uh, the research is overwhelming. Study after study shows diverse boards means better business for everybody, all stakeholders. Okay, at the moment, lots of unpleasantness happening around the war. I don't want to go to war. Equality makes the world more peaceful. When women are involved in negotiations, the probability of a peace agreement lasting longer, it's from lasting at least two years is increased by 20% and 15 years by 35%, as long as women are at the negotiating table, okay? Uh, I'd like to be happy. Equality makes for more happiness. Uh, don't take my word for it, there's a marvellous thing called the UN Happiness Report, which I enjoy. Uh, top three places, I'm from Denmark, always Scandinavians. Finland, Denmark, Iceland, uh, and why? Because everybody's making lots of money. No, um, it turns out it comes from healthy life expectancy, social support, freedom, trust, generosity, stability, all these lovely, beautiful things. Britain, not even in the top 10, okay? Just scraping into the top 20. If you focus on being richer, I'm not gonna make you any happier. So women's equality has the power to transform both our economy and our lives and maybe even make us the happiest country in the world. So I'm here in Cambridge uh, to, to have a look at the world. Um, nobody's paying me, not even 81 pence uh, an hour. It's not happening. Um, I'm here because I think it needs uh, doing. Um, a couple of years ago, I was asked to speak at the European Parliament on the subject of gender equality. And I went, I had loads of facts, loads of facts, loads of stats, right? And when I'd finished, the woman in charge said to me, oh, that was marvellous, Sandy, we must do it again next year. And I thought, no, you must do it every day, you fuckface. <laughs> I didn't say fuckface in the European Parliament, just to be really clear. I... <laughs> but nobody cares about statistics, okay? They stop listening, it's boring, okay? So we need to find a new way to show them. And there's loads of great charities doing pockets of stuff all over the world. Um, but what if we could get it all together? What if that combined view was so overwhelming that those in power would pay attention? It's what finally happened with the pay gap, right? Once all companies were required to report what they were paying and the figures were aggregated, we were able to see what the problem was. It wasn't until then. So I sat down to write an atlas of women to bring together a global picture. And after I'd written 220,000 words, and it was this big, I realized it can't be done in a book, okay? Uh, so then I thought, what if I could do, have the whole world in my hand? This is a marble, and it has on it, it's an atlas, okay? It has the whole world. What if I could have that in my hand, and I could show everybody what I'm trying to talk about? Um, and I realized that we can do this with modern technology. We can make an interactive, multi-layered globe which is searchable on a country-by-country -country basis and by other keywords and categories. It could be a female counter to the extreme and irreparable gender bias of Wikipedia. What if we could start again? Now, uh, why does it really matter? It matters because AI is coming. Okay, AI is coming, and if it comes of age on such a skewed diet, or it's the knowledge that we have now, we are in danger of women being written not only out of the past, our Florence Nightingales, but out of the future. It is urgent that we address the imbalance of what is being recorded. So initially, 
Uh, it's very exciting and working across all the departments in the university. We've got the fantastic computer scientists on our side and we've just had a PhD student decide to devote her entire PhD to the subject and working with the Centre for Governance and Human Rights. Uh, I've just been made an ambassador for UN Women based on this work. It's very, very exciting. If we could provide instant illuminated access to statistics and stories and issues why then imagine if we could do that for women, what we could do for other marginalized communities, if we took the same theory. So instead of going to, a, to the European Parliament and going, 26%, I go, no, it looks like this, people. I would show them, I would show them on an illuminated interactive globe. So I am here as the inaugural Q plus fellow at Christ's, uh, working to see if I can put the dispossessed on the map. So I'm trying to create change. And, I'm, and the reason I've come tonight is to urge you to do the same. Don't, don't build an atlas, right? Somebody's doing it. Oh, come and help me if you like. Um, but see what all of us here can do to make the world a better place. The amount of privilege in this room is breathtaking, okay? All of us here now, we're warm, we're safe. Uh, we must be lucky enough to have good brains. <laughs> Such good brains, you don't get sent down. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, some of us are richer than others. Some have had easier childhoods. Uh, some have health problems or problems exacerbated by their background. Some are Danish lesbians with asthma. Um, there is every kind of identity here. But where we intersect is how fortunate we have been to, allow, to be allowed to gather here in this, on this day in this place. There's 130 million girls out of school worldwide right now, not learning anything at all. I mean, how blessed are we? So what shall we do with this privilege? Well, you could decide to make money, to seek power, and enjoy violence, to get away with it, I don't know. Um, or you could decide to, to use it for good. And, I, and I'm sort of making a plea. What if we all decided to try and save the world, or at least, at least part of it? Um, you know, and, and, and let's focus on the big stuff. Shall we stop? beating up minority sections of the planet. Let's stop. Please, dear God, stop having a go at trans people. Life is on a spectrum, as anybody who has ever heard most of our politicians speak. It, intelligence is on a spectrum, so why not everything else, right? Stop, stop worrying about how to make sport fair. Sport is already unfair, right? I can't touch my toes. For some reason, that means I can't be in the Olympics. I don't understand how it functions. Stop worrying about the bloody toilets. If we need more toilets, just make some more toilets, okay? It's not. It's not what we should be talking about. Privilege, they can feel it in the room. And I'm here to ask you to speak up and stand up and be counted. If I had known just one other gay person in Cambridge when I was here, the difference it would have made to my life is incalculable. Okay, there were no LGBT groups, there were no gatherings where you could speak up and be yourself. And the reason we've seen progress for the queer community is because so many people have come out, okay? And while you are here in this glorious place of learning, Question everything, even the stuff you're sure of. Question your answers, even if your mother told you it was so, okay? Sugar is not more addictive than heroin, it's not true. Coffee does not come from beans, penguins don't mate for life, Pythagoras did not come up with his famous theorem, and Barry Manilow did not write his big hit, I Write the Songs, okay? These are things that you are allowed to know and dare to be different. And stay angry, but collaborate as well, you know? You don't have to change the world by yourselves. Think of Watson and Crick, but don't forget Franklin, who didn't get the Nobel Prize. And if you don't care about science, think about Ben and Jerry, right? Just think about people who work together. Step out of your comfort zone. Be stupid, have a mad idea, which is why I'm here. Stop worrying what everybody else is doing. And remember that the answer I don't know is the first step towards new knowledge. And when you don't know, it's fine. Just ask, ask for help. And most of all, be proud of who you are, where you come from, where you're going. You are the future. I am so glad to meet you. And finally, love. Love deeply and passionately. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my friends beyond all measure. And that is how I keep going. I want to change the world. But for myself, I'm also here to right some old wrongs. How I would have loved some old, happy, out and proud lesbian who had survived to come and talk to me when I was younger. Well, here I am, that I love you all, without exception. Now go change the world, because it fucking well needs to. <laughs>
Thank you so much, Sandy. That was no. So let's amazing. do some jokes now. Yes. Yeah. So just um, for everyone in the room, the way it's going to work is I'll run through a couple of questions with Sandy before I throw it over to you guys to ask any questions. So just raise your hands at that point, and we'll try and get a mic to you um, as soon as possible. But kind of to begin with, I kind of wanted to talk. You kind of mentioned in your address about how you got outed by the Daily Mail in the 90s, and I kind of wanted to touch on that because I think it's something that we see that is still happening today in terms of this fascination with celebrities, like sexualities, with their sex life, in terms of everyone wants to know who you like um, and who you're attracted to. Um, and I was wondering, what, why do you think that fascination kind of exists? I don't know, it's so weird. First of all, I wasn't outed by the Daily Mail. I pissed them off by outing myself, which has really annoyed them. Uh, so I did an article in the Sunday Times in which I just pretended that I presumed everybody knew. I mean, I think you look at me and go, oh, um, yes, uh, <laughs> possibly not heterosexual. Um, uh, but the Daily Mail were very angry with me, uh, and I thought that we would have moved on, but we haven't. Um, it's a puerile thing. It has nothing to do with people's thought processes. It has nothing to do with the work they're doing. I, I, I don't know, and one of the things that I really wish is that our media would have the kind of diversity that I've been talking about that we need in the world. <laughs> but we don't have it. We have, a, we have newspapers run by uh, people who look like Rupert Murdoch, God help us. Um, we, it's very hard to find the completely um, non-biased uh, news. It's, it's very, very difficult. Um, and uh, indeed, I've had to explain carefully to older members of my family that the paper you're reading hates me. Um, and it, I think most people think, oh, it's just news, it's just the news. So I don't know, and it hasn't changed, um, and that's, uh, that's sad. All I will tell you, my father was a brilliant journalist, and I mention him because uh, today is the, I'm a bit sad today, it's the, the day marks his passing today. So I'm feeling a little bit sad, but what I will pass on to you he was a brilliant journalist and he said, never believe anything from one source. And I think that's true of everything you're studying. He, as a journalist, wanted three sources for what he'd been told before he passed it on. Check, check, check everything. Most of what's on Wikipedia is shit, check what else there is out there. And that's true even if some professor's written a brilliant paper, it's okay to question it. That's the main thing I learned at university is that you don't have to accept what you're told. So in answer to your question, the, the media is a, is a serious problem. Um, but when you read something, please don't necessarily think that must be true. Oh, Britney Spears this or so-and-so this. That, that's a real person that they're talking about. And that, you know, I've really hated the coverage of Matthew Perry's death because it's been really invasive about his life and questioning was he drunk at the time. Was Leave him alone, the poor man has passed, it's enough now. So, so yeah, well, there's work to be done about the newspapers. And within that culture, I guess, the time period of the late 80s and the early 90s, right? We're talking about a like period of fear-mongering about gay people and about the LGBT community with the HIV and AIDS mm. kind of fear-mongering. And how did you find yourself then navigating that kind of atmosphere and being kind of a famous person that was representative of the LGBT? I mean, it's not always easy. I've, um, you know, I don't want to be too serious, but I've had a lot of death threats. Um, uh, my wife and I, when we got married, um, I had to have a close protection police officer uh, beside me. Um, it's ongoing. It is still ongoing. Um, but you can't let that rule your life. This is who I am. I am not going to live in the shadows of anything. And I have to say, um, my children, are, the next generation, you guys are so wonderful because I don't think you care, really. I don't think you care. Let people be who they are. And, I, and at the first time I realized that, that it was, we were safe in the hands of the next generation, so my son, who's my, who's my youngest, he's an actor, he's my failure, and... Um, <laughs> wait till you hear about me talking about my daughter, the doctor. Oh. Um, so uh, he was six years old and uh, he had a friend over and uh, I heard them playing in the next room and uh, his, his friend said, what's it like having two mums? And my son Theo said, it's absolutely fantastic because if one of them's poorly, you've got another one to do for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, he'll be fine. He'll be absolutely, he's nailed this. So I have, I have faith in the next generation. I hope that soon it won't be a subject that people are interested in talking about, that we can move forward. Um, I have great faith in all of you that you are more sensible and uh, not quite so pure. And I guess kind of on that kind of similar line, would you say like obviously in your address you really like talked a lot about women's equality and about the LGBT community um, because that's something that is like very kind of personal to you. Yeah. But do you think at certain points it kind of feels like a box that people put you into that you always kind of have to fight 
because like you have you identify with certain labels yeah i mean you, you know it, it would be nice if that if that wasn't necessary and i want to fight for equality of every single kind i don't really like boxes of any uh, description i i don't really get horoscopes right so a twelfth of the world are all having the same kind of day is that how is that how it works i don't really get the binary thing that's not do, do you know about the ras fish do you know about this so the rest fish is just extraordinary. So one of the things, one of the problems has been about humanity is that we've placed ourselves above nature instead of in nature, right? We're just as much part of it. And we don't do that. We always say, oh, there's us, and then there's like nature down here. So the rest fish is the most fantastic fish. Uh, it lives in the Caribbean and it lives in schools of one bright blue-headed male fish and then lots of beautiful yellow female fish, okay? Here's what happens. When the male dies, Almost instantaneously, the largest female takes on the behavior of the male. It's behavioral, not biological. Within 21 days, she has lost her ovaries, had grown testes, and is a full blue-headed male fish. Good face you're doing right there. So, there's more than 500 species of fish that change gender, okay? And they do it according to circumstance. So, why do we think we're so special? Why do we think that we're just in these two little... I don't get it. There must be a spectrum if there's a spectrum in nature. Surely we must have a spectrum as well. So I just mostly don't like boxes. Um, but I get, you know, uh, she's very short or she... Uh, you know, this, we do that, though, to categorise people, right? Um, but it would be nice if we, could, if we could not do that. It would be great. And kind of moving then on kind of to your work in the television sphere. So... I mean, people love you. I don't like cake, can yeah. I just say? I don't like cake. Uh, people love you because you've done so much work on the Great British Bake Off, even though you don't like cake. Um, I mean, you've been on QI, you've been on News Quiz. With all of kind of being so visibly famous, how do you kind of find yourself staying true to yourself? Or have you found at certain times you've kind of let people's perceptions of you or who they want you to be kind of impose kind of your own, on your own identity of yourself? I hope, I hope I am true to myself, and I tell you for why, and, it, and it's probably... So two things happened. One, when I was 14, I, I came from growing up in the United States to live here, and I had a very strong New York accent, and I went to boarding school, and because I had a very strong New York accent, nobody would speak to me. So for six weeks, I lived in a new country with nobody speaking to me. And then one night, we watched a um, very old film, a Brief Encounter, with Celia Johnson and Trevor Howard, his old black-and-white film, and I sat there and I thought, oh, I'll just speak like that, which is why I sound like I'm trapped in a black and white film, but it was genuinely an attempt to get other people to speak to me. So that's the first thing is that I was shunned then. And the second time was obviously my last year at Girton. There were a lot of people who refused to speak to me in my, in my final year. You have to grow a core at that point. You have to build something that's really just you, um, because otherwise you just won't survive. It can crush you, it can kill you, um, and, and, I, and I hope that I haven't allowed it, but what it's made me is hyper-aware of other people being shunned or people being left out or... Uh, and then I am so lucky. I have a fabulous partner. I have fabulous friends. I have... My children are... And now I have grandchildren. I have three glorious grandchildren. And that's... That, do not let fame become anything important in your life. My father was the most famous man in the whole of Denmark, OK? He was incredibly famous. But at his funeral, which is very much on my mind today, was the church was packed, and in the front row sat the Prime Minister of Denmark and our local postman next to each other. And that's about right. Okay. That, that, that's just two people that he knew. There wasn't anything to do with fame. So don't take it seriously. Please, God, don't any of you wish to be celebrities. Don't do that. And, or if you're going to be, do it for purpose. Do it to do something. I, I really believe it. Um, but surround yourself with people who love you and say I love you to your friends. Don't just save it for your family, say it to your friends because it's good, it feels nice. Yes, um, and I guess one last question kind of for me. I mean, like, you've seen how many people are in the audience today um, and how many people kind of do love you. At the same time, you do kind of get a lot of death threats and there are people who, like, want to like harm you how do you find yourself kind of navigating those two elements of like people that want like when someone comes up to you on the street right you don't know whether they want to like give you a hug or no. whether they're out to get you yeah they've been threatened twice since i've been in cambridge in the last month um but i've also been hugged a lot um so i don't know uh, that's the risk you take uh the modern world is weird it's weird i don't I, one of the things i wait to protect myself i don't do social media of any kind nothing absolutely nothing because it's not real 
was not a way to have a conversation. It came here to talk to you in person. Um, and I think it really matters, although, and I hated the Zoom thing. I hated the Zoom thing during lockdown. I really hated it, right? So we did a whole series of QI where we had a massive cinema screen, it was huge, where we broadcast live into 400 homes, right, on Zoom. And I think those people, at no point did they realize we could see them just as well as they could see us. <laughs> and the things people get up to whilst apparently watching the telly, I, literally, I learned a lot about heterosexuals. I went, wow, that, look, at that angle, that's gonna, okay. <laughs> All right, and in the end, we didn't have the screen because it was too distracting, so. Um, no, I, you know, try and look people in the eye and, and hopefully there's more good people than, than rotters. What do you think? Do you think? I hope so. I think so. Yeah, you think so? <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, we'll move on to audience questions. Great. Because I want to give as many people the opportunity to do but so. But thank you for asking me to the, come. That's all good. Yeah. It's an honor. <laughs> um, so if you want to ask a question, please do raise your hand and we'll try to get a mic to you. But you can ask me silly things as well, guys. You can ask yes, me you about bacon. I don't like. care. You know, I'm here. Um, it's not all. I, I know the speech was very serious, but that's because I, I'm in the throes of making this thing. My darling, you want a question? Okay, um, thank you. Um, one was, you spoke about what Girton did, and obviously now you're back, you went to a formal there. Have Girton actually addressed the way they treated you? Have they apologized? Yeah. Do you think they should? What, what does that mean to you? So um, the important thing in life is that it's okay to make mistakes, and it's okay if you apologize to be forgiven. I think it's fine. Uh, I'm not religious, but I do believe in redemption of, in that way. So um, the, the lovely part about the Girton story is that um, there was a woman called Helen Gavin who was, she lived right next door to me at Girton, and we were very good friends. Uh, Helen, and I know she won't mind me saying, is a very devout Catholic and goes to Mass more times than you'd think is actually available. Um, uh, <laughs> so she goes a lot. Uh, and when everybody was horrible to me, and when there was a chance that I would be sent down, she never wavered in her friendship. Not for one single solitary second. And when I said to her, what do you think the Pope would say about this? She said, well, I think the Pope may have got this one wrong. That's what she said. Um, and she, over the years, kept saying to Girton, you need to fix this, because it still hurts, Sandy. You need to fix it. And she brokered thing with Girton, the brilliant Susan Smith, who was then the mistress of Girton, I was invited um, to become an honorary fellow. She apologized, mistress apologized publicly to me. And we held the very first LGBT dinner uh, in my honor. And there were rainbow flags everywhere in the hall. And that is okay. And now we move on. So I believe that it's all right to say sorry. Do you think that's right? Yeah, yeah. and I, and so I have a friend I'm not like here that. to discurtain, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. Although I'm not there now as a fellow, so. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, my less serious question was to ask you, maybe to repeat the audience, uh, your thoughts on general relativity and particularly everything, things you've learned for QI that maybe have real world application or less real world I mean, literally, the thing I've learned from QI is that more women should be in charge of quiz shows. I think it's a very, um, uh, what I've learned um, is that uh, even the famous people that we have on are really nervous. And uh, everybody, doesn't matter how clever they are, if you confront them, if I say to you, we're gonna have a quiz and find the cleverest person in the room. There was a few people that went, oh, really? Okay. Um, and uh, so more than anything, I mean, I've learned lots of fabulous quirky facts, which I enjoy. Um, and we're just about to uh, start recording the new series. We start in January. Um, but I will be backwards and forwards to Cambridge between doing the recordings. Um, I've learned that Knowledge is not something that you lord over people and you don't go, I'm a clever person with all the cards and I've got everything. You say, this is the thing that I'm really excited to share with you. I think that's the most wonderful thing. And I learned that from doing the show. And every single famous person, and there's been some phenomenally famous person, people who come on, they all want a hug beforehand because they're scared. That's okay. That's okay. We're all a bit scared when you're in the spotlight, I think. That's fine. I, lo I love doing it, uh, but there's five more years to do before we finish the alphabet. And then I should be 70, and then I'm going to retire. So there you are. That's my plan. Uh, hello, sweetie. What's your name? Hi, Ashoria. It's very nice to meet you. Do you want to stand up, sweetie, so everybody can? Thank you so much. So your speech was amazing, so thank you for that. But I was just really stunned by the amount of hopefulness that you seem to still retain. I mean, you, you laid out all these statistics which tell us that we are going backwards on so many metrics. 
what is it that sustains that feeling that you can actually change something and that your project will be amazing, which I, I believe that it will. Yes, it will. What gives you the hope all the time? Hey, I don't know, maybe I'm a Pollyanna. Um, but I always think that the best piece of music uh, I'll ever hear, I haven't heard yet. Um, the greatest piece of art I'll see, I haven't seen yet. Um, the nicest smile, like you, I haven't seen yet. Um, so I, maybe that's an, an appetite for life. And it's the thing I recommend more than anything is to have passion. Be passionate about everything. And if you're in a relationship where you're not very passionate about the person, ditch them. Seriously. Don't, Absolutely. Don't bother with it. Um, if we give up hope, then, then I don't know what. What do we do then? We would just drink ourselves to death or we just... I don't know what to do without hope. I, I firmly believe that we have to believe in the power of change and we have to believe that we can do it together. Now, I'm 65, I believe you guys are the hope, okay? And that's partly why I've come back to Cambridge, is to pass that on. But I will not give up until my dying breath I will try and make some change. And I've seen it, I've seen it in that I'm now married and that I speak openly about my life, I've seen it happen. So, I have to believe it will continue to. And honestly, the people I've met for this project, my wonderful friend Bridget here, who's working with me on it, um, and uh, the computer science department, amazing Professor Alan Blackwell, who's working with me. Uh, every time I go and speak to somebody, they go, oh, I could do a little something here. And that's all we have to do. We all have to do a little something. It's like everybody providing an ingredient for a meal, right? We can do this. So, so let's not, yeah, the statistics are shit, right? But there's still, we have to find hope. Otherwise, uh, give up. There's more people. There's one over there. There's a. Here. There we go. Yeah. Hi, what's uh, your name? Uh, I'm uh, George. Sorry. Hi, George. Hi. I didn't ask Helena's name because I already knew her name. So I, I like to know everybody's name. Hi, George. Uh, um, I just wondered if you thought. Um, so you just talked about hope, but I wonder if you thought, with some people, I suppose it's quite a pessimistic view, but do you think homophobia is so ingrained within certain people that it is impossible to combat? And if you think that you can combat it, how would you recommend going about it? Oh, okay, so is homophobia so engraved in some people that you can't combat it? Um, the best thing, darling, is to be as charming as possible. It really irritates them. Uh, so, uh, charming and funny works, as, uh, works an absolute treat. Um, uh, so, I can't tell you how many people have said, oh, my parents didn't like the fact that I was gay, and then uh, they watched you on something and they laughed, and then they realised that you're not, you know, a nightmare or got to horns or whatever it is. Um, so I, I think the thing is to not descend into rage and not, not fight back, just smile, be lovely, be charming. Um, I, I think you can go quite a long way uh, with that. Uh, for the people who are um, uh, so ingrained that, that no change is possible, pity is an enormously powerful tool. Um, uh, so sometimes I've had a, a very unpleasant heckle, so for example, in a theatre show or something, and I always stop the show immediately and go, so I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear what you said, I wonder if you'd like to stand up and tell everybody, and then I go, oh, and they repeat it, and I go, it's such a shame, you probably thought you were going to have a nice evening, and now I'm going to explain to you why everything you've just said is wrong. So, um, and that works as well. Pity is a, tremendous, uh, is a tremendous tool. And I do feel sorry for anybody who automatically hates any section of the community without thinking about it. I feel sorry for them. Um, but then let's keep spreading the word. Let's keep saying this is not okay. Keep telling people about the wrasse fish. Keep telling people that, that they misunderstood how the world functions. Um, but, but also listen, because sometimes they just want to rant for a while. Uh, if a person stands up and wants to have a real rant, I usually just get a chair and sit down and see if stage management will bring me a cup of tea um, and let them talk themselves out. Um, but yeah, it's sad, isn't it? Don't you think? It's sad that it's ingrained in some people. Yeah, I think patriarchal religion has got a lot to do with it, but there we are. Hello, right at the back, what's your name? Hi, sweetheart. Yeah, so I just wanted to ask, like, welcome back to Cambridge, by the way. Thank you, my darling. Um, I was just going to ask, like, you obviously are very committed to education. Uh, you keep coming back. Um, so I was just going to say, like, how has it helped you throughout your life and what kind of area has it helped you most? Okay, what kind of thing that have you done which education has helped you the most in? Um, so it's about how you think. So I studied first as a lawyer. I was going to be a human rights lawyer. And then I did what used to be known as Arc and Anth. Uh, and I had a wonderful professor, um, uh, uh, called Dr. Swallow, uh, and I remember Dr. Swallow uh, teaching me about the Ashango bone. The Ashango bone 
is um, many, many thousands of years old and has markings all over it. And it's the very first uh, markings that we think represents a lunar calendar. Uh, and uh, Dr. Swallow said, all the clever people will tell you that this is man's first attempt at a lunar calendar. And then there was a very long pause, and she said, I'm just curious what ma man in the world wants to know how long the phases of the moon are. I'm going to suggest to you this is woman's first attempt at a lunar calendar. Uh, and in that moment, I thought, oh, yeah, don't just write down what somebody just said. Have another think about it. And, and I have used that all of my life. And all of my legal training, is all law is basically who, what, when, where, why. But that's the same for a drama, if you're writing a drama. Um, so it's not what you learn, it's how you learn. It's about the method of learning. It's about finding new ways to put points across. Uh, and I'm still, I continue to learn that all the time. My wife's most brilliantly been teaching me so much about uh, intersectionality and about, um, and about uh, pronouns and why we need to be uh, careful and all of those things. So we, uh, if we listen, we can learn from, uh, I, I think from absolutely everybody that we meet, there will be something. Um, every book that I buy, I learn something, even if it's a bit nonsense, uh, I learn something. Uh, so it's not about what you learn, it's how you learn it. What are you, what are you reading, my darling? Geography. Oh, come and look at my atlas when it's ready. Would you like that? Yeah, that would be very cool. See, already I got somebody on side. This is fantastic. Okay. Uh, anybody else got a question? Yeah, I, I don't mind. Who are here? Because I will come to you, I promise. Hi, what's your name? Um, Katie. Hi, sweetie. Um, I was going to ask, what's like your favorite joke or funny story that you never really get a chance to tell? My favorite jokes are all really silly. Uh, so I don't like jokes that hurt people. That's not really, not really my thing. Um, uh, so two snakes are in the jungle. <laughs> I can't believe I tell you this joke. Uh, two snakes are in the jungle, uh, and one of them goes, psst, I've forgotten, are we poisonous? And the other one says, why? He says, no, it's nothing, it's just I've bitten my tongue. <laughs> it's cute, right? It's really cute. Uh, I, don't like, I don't like jokes that hurt people. Uh, and one of the reasons I left, uh, one of the reasons I left, I did news quiz for a very long time um, on Radio 4, and I left because the tone of some of the jokes was actually becoming, it was too much. Uh, plus I had to go and start the Women's Equality Party, so I had things to do. Um, uh, but I, I just, I try, I don't always succeed, but I try and make jokes that are just funny, but not hurtful, because it's, there's enough hurt, right? What kind of jokes do you like? Did you like the snake one? It's good, right? You pass it on. It's a good joke. Pass it on. Very good joke. Uh, there was over here. I saw somebody. Is it? No, we're good, right? We're yes, okay. we can do. Would you like some water? No, it's okay. I'm fine. I might do three more questions. Yes. Yeah. All right. You're in charge. <laughs> Plus, I've got a restaurant booking. <laughs> I mean, there's change in the world, and then there's martinis, right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay. Was there somebody over here? Did it... Yes, my darling. Yes, stand up, sweetheart. What's your name? My name's Olivia. Hi, Olivia. Oh, thanks. Uh, very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, my darling. Uh, I'd like to ask, are there any lesser-known women from history that you think it's a tragedy more people don't know about them? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, do you know about Princess Kutalun? No. Oh, she's one of my favorites. Um, so first of all, don't forget that um, the women we already know about, people like Cleopatra. So Cleopatra is seen as a sort of seducer, and uh, she lured Antony to, to her bed and then to his death and so on. Absolute nonsense. She was a poet and a philosopher, and by all accounts, not terribly good looking. So it's complete um, nonsense. Um, but Princess Kutalun, so she was the niece of Kublai Khan, um, who at one time uh, held sway over the great Mongol Empire. We're talking about China, a lot of the stands, you know, uh, uh, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, so on. Uh, anyway, the story, Marco Polo tells us this story, so we know it is true, he's one of the great chroniclers of the time. And he says that, uh, obviously, Uncle Kubla keen for her to get married, uh, and she didn't want to get married, she wanted to be in the army. Uh, and uh, so she said, well, all right, uh, Unc, or whatever she called him, um, uh, I will get married. Uh, I will marry any man who wrestles me uh, and wins. Uh, but if uh, he loses, he has to give me a hundred horses. And Marco Polo records that Princess Kutalun died in the army, unmarried with 10,000 horses. <laughs> so I love her. I think she's a really good example. Uh, and there are tens of thousands more. Um, uh, I, I wrote an almanac with a different woman for every day, maybe you would have a, 
I'm not trying to sell my books. I think they're freely available in Oxfam shops. But, um, <laughs> uh, but they're, yeah, it's a, it's a rich, a rich scene. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, anybody else? Uh, is, uh, yeah. Hi, sweetheart. Yes. Um, yes. Excellent, excellent sweater. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Is it Norwegian? Uh, please tell me. Uh, yes. And yes. Uh, the pattern is actually named. Uh, it's not named, named after me, but it has my name as well. So Maria's pattern. So. Oh. Okay, yeah. hi. Uh, hi. Uh, and God afternoon as well. Thank you for being another day in the room. It uh, makes me feel much less lonely. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Um, so, um, having, I was wondering in terms of having the experience of um, sort of the, the LGBTQ uh, experience both in uh, English and in Danish, I happen to study linguistics, so I'm sort of interested in both at, at a sort of linguistic level, but also at a sort of a societal or a community level. You mentioned the, um, the happiness index as well, and I was wondering if there is any sort of distinct differences between your, your experience in those two countries and maybe what the two, two different countries or communities can learn from each other. Um, well, I mean, I think, uh, as you will know from Denmark, it's such an egalitarian country. I've never known anybody be remotely interested uh, in whether what uh, heterosexual homosexual they don't care. Uh, uh, you know, I say this is my wife, and that's the uh, end of it. It's not a, this, in this country. Every now and then, I say this is my wife, and somebody goes, like, they can't help themselves. It's a weird kind of uh, thing. In Denmark, it just doesn't seem to be of any interest. It doesn't seem to be, I don't know if that's your experience, but it doesn't seem to be nobody cares uh, very much. And I would really love uh, to get to that stage here where it doesn't seem to be such an issue. Of course, linguistically, there are rude words uh, for homosexuals in Danish as there are in this country, um, but I haven't heard them for years in Denmark, is the truth of it. Whereas I still hear some slurs in, in this country. Um, I don't know if that is, do, do, is that, would that be fair to say? I, I think so. I think uh, maybe for those who don't speak Danish, um, there's an interesting distinction, for example, that in, in English you distinguish between gender and sex, and you only, in Danish you only have the one word, you have yeah. could, which sort of, it's just from a linguistic perspective, that's also interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for the answer. And also yeah. thank you for, um, for picking, obviously, the best college. We're very, very proud to have you. Oh, you're so lovely. <laughs> thank you so much. I've been so welcomed. Uh, where shall we go, darling? You pick. Yes, I don't look um, like this might be the last question. Oh, it's the last so, question. So, so I'm a very keen person over here. Let's have this person. Hello, my lovely. What is your name? Um, hi, I'm Cameron. Um, I, was, uh, I thought it was a very good uh, speech because I think it raised a lot of things. So I studied computer science and I hadn't realized about the Wikipedia uh, statistics between how uh, they treat new articles from women versus men. And I was wondering, like, I'll be heading into the industry at some point in the next few years. What do you think is the best thing that I can do to promote to other people, to kind of, or other computer scientists, to think better, to think uh, more on this issue when they're like programming systems, especially with AI coming in and they'll read a lot of Wikipedia? What's the best thing that I can do going into the industry to promote to other people kind of the values of look, like uh, focusing more on the design of? you know, removing bias from these systems. Well, the very fact that you're interested and you've asked me the question is such a wonderful thing. So the issue with Wikipedia is how it was set up in the first place. So it's crowdsourced and anybody who's got the time and the technology is able to input into Wikipedia. Now, the problem with this is who's got the time and who's got the technology? It is going to be white, middle-class, mostly middle-aged men. So you have to think very carefully when you're developing your software, your algorithms and so on, is who is going to access this? How are we going to make this work? So initially, what we're looking at is creating an atlas which is curated. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to each country in the world, and we're doing this through my founder ambassadorship of the Women of the World organization, which has been going for 13 years. We will go to each country and we will create a group of women and they will curate because this is not about an Eurocentric view of the world. This is about them telling us what their country uh, looks like. But the very fact that you've asked the question is so important. And it isn't just women. It's all the marginalized communities. Let's make sure that this glorious technology, and I'm so excited by it, represents everybody. So ask, keep asking the question, right? I, I recently met with some people who do... Uh, policy work here in Cambridge and they help uh, so politicians go to them and say I want to create a new policy and I said to them and how often do they ask you about gender equality and there was quite a long pause and they said we can't remember the last time anybody asked us about it okay at least you're going to ask yourself that question tonight so to me that the whole evening was worth it if that's something that you're going to keep in your head 
I'm so proud that you've asked the question. I'm so proud that you will go forward now. I feel like the whole evening was worth it. So thank you for that. Um, so I actually lied. One last question for me. Oh, you've got a question. Yay! Yeah. Um, Is it my favourite flavour of ice cream? No, unfortunately not. Oh, okay. Um, but I ask, we ask, we ask everyone um, who comes here this, and as someone who's been at Cambridge, who's been in our shoes, um, kind of, and you know, we have so much ahead of us, what would you, like, what are three pieces of advice you would give us? Three pieces of advice. My father was very good on advice. Uh, first thing is never trust a man in a ready-made bow tie. It's very, very important. Uh, uh, one martini is not enough, two is plenty, three is too many. Um, those are just uh, things he told me. Uh, passion. That's the top thing, passion. Be, be passionate about what you do, about your lives, about the people you love. This, this, the, it's the single most important word, I think, is to be passionate. Um, and don't let it change. You know, how many years ago is it since I was here? 45 years or whatever it is. I'm still the same person who's passionate about life um, and your friends and being out for the evening and how lucky we are. Uh, I'm th it's so nice to have been here. Thank you for coming. It really has meant the world to me. I was nervous um, and a bit sad today and now I feel much better. So uh, I would like to say thank you to you. Okay. Thank you so much. It's all right. Thank you.